This podcast is brought to you by John Brandt, the author of a new book entitled Nincompoopery, Why Your Customers Hate You and How to Fix It. Please listen to podcast number 744, where John and Greg speak about how, in business, we became such nincompoops. In this informative and humorous discussion, John covers how he's leveraged research across thousands of companies to show leaders how to find and kill the corporate stupidity that drives customers crazy. He also offers concrete examples of how any organization, large or small, and regardless of industry, can innovate in ways that delight customers and attract top-level talent. Learn about the hundreds of companies John has worked with to help them outwit competitors as he shares his unique blueprint for success. Please listen to podcast number 744 with author John Brand about his new book, Nincompoopery. You can also learn more about John by visiting www.johnrbrandt.com. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voison, the host of Inside Personal Growth. And Dan, as I do every time I come on one of these shows, I thank my listeners because without those listeners, there would be no podcast, there would be no show. And those people are the ones that keep me going and the authors keep me going. Dan Polino uh, is joining us from, tell us where you're joining us from, Dan. Yes, good morning, and I'm delighted to be with you today. I'm from just outside of Washington, D.C. in Northern Virginia. Great. And there's this new book out called Trusted Healers um, that Dan with Bud Ramey wrote. Um, it's got a lot of information about Dr. Paul Grundy in it and the global healthcare crisis. And we're going to be speaking with him this morning about that. But Dan, before we go any further, I'm going to let my listeners know a little bit about you. He's an innovator, a thought leader, and author. Uh, Dan is a regular contributor to the discussions on healthcare, citizens-based services, and smarter cities, having appeared on CNN, Bloomberg, and BBC, and other media outlets. He serves as a moderator and host to the current healthcare debate, and is an adjunct professor lecturing on leadership at his alma mater, Western Kentucky University. He serves on numerous private and public boards and works for IBM for and worked for IBM for 36 years, leading its global healthcare and life sciences business for 10 years. So Dan, I want to start off here, if we could. Um, you state in the introduction that you invoke two more words to precipitate a healthcare revolution that can transform society. And they are trusted healer, the word and the title of the book. What in your estimation is trusted healing? So first of all, if we go back in society, the two most revered people from the beginning of time are the spiritual leader and then the medical leader, your trusted healer. And so we all are, are challenged to find the right kind of healthcare system and to be able to take care of ourselves. And when we get into that right relationship, when we, we have a trusted healer or a trusted healing relationship with someone, then we know that our quality of life is better and we know we actually spend less for healthcare. And we know that it could have a profound difference, not just for us, but also the people that are our families and other people that are part of who we are. So the trusted healer concept, as I take you through the book, at the end, I actually challenge us to say, should we be our own trusted healer? Should we? 
Can we? Will we be? And after we go through this conversation with the book about these great leaders and we explore the patient-centered medical home and we travel the world to see the best type of care, I rhetorically ask the question at the back end whether or not we should be our own trusted healer now that we have health literacy and now we can see the best path for us to go forward. Yes, you do really do a good job of articulating that throughout the book and all the great stories. There's this for my listeners, the book is full of stories. Um, but you state that Dr. Paul Grundy's vision call for every citizen to have a medical home, a delivery model that ensures that we receive necessary care when and where we need it. How would you propose this medical home concept evolve or happen. I know Blue Cross of Michigan has embraced this. Um, you have thousands of people there that have been doing it. Um, but wh what is the concept? Because to most of the listeners, they're not going to know what the medical home means. Yes. And first of all, thank you for reading the book so, so thoroughly and your good questions here. So, so here's what we know. We, we, we know that if we're in a patient-centered medical home, where we have access to care seven by 24, where they know who we are, where they call us in for our mammograms, our colonoscopies, maybe at this time of the year, our, our flu shots, where we know the lab tests will come directly back into the doctor and they will be able to guide us and kind of quarterback our, our care in a team care model, where we move from what might've been episode of sick care into how we look at well care. So the idea of the medical home came off of this team care model, knowing that we wanted to provide better care in society. Now, when we studied around the world, we see that better performing countries, as far as life expectancy and quality of life, spend anywhere from 14 to 20% of their dollars, of healthcare dollars, on primary care in a medical home. We in the U.S. only spend 5 to 7%. And we're very good in specialty care. We're amazing in sick care. But we have a long ways to go in well care. And so that's what we talk about in the book is to challenge people to get in front of that sick care, to find a medical home, and then be able to immerse themselves in that with a trusted healer as, as a relationship within that medical home. Now, I, I see this as being able to, to be something that continues to grow. Roughly 48% of, of medical practices today practice some form of, of medical home. Mm -hmm. But I've got to tell you something. The challenge that we have is that we're going to run out of primary care doctors. And, and so we need more RNs. We need more family nurse practitioners. We need more PAs. And we need, quite honestly, more people to go into primary care and, and family care. And, and so here comes the challenge. We know you're better if you're in a medical home, and we know you should spend more time with primary care, with nurse practitioners, and with family nurse practitioners, and, and certainly with doctors. But we're going to run into a shortage. They say by 33,000 shortage in primary care by 2035. So we know it's better, but we haven't invested in in, in, in a country and many people don't even know what to look for and so that's what i want to do is close that gap here's what you should look for encourage more people to get in the front end of care 
and help our society move from a sick care society into a well care society. Well, bravo on that. It's so needed, so desperately needed. Now, what is the difference, if you would, you know, about primary or patient-centered medical homes like the ones in Michigan versus the concept of an integrative medicine? Um, can you and can you comment on the evolution of this? We see a lot of functional medicine doctors coming out. We see a lot of different things happening now in the evolution because people are trying to fix this, but it seems like it's still so bifurcated, Dan. How do we get people on one area and focused and moving forward so we can help solve this problem quicker? Well, you're so right. It continues to be bifurcated. And and I must tell you, the reason that it's bifurcated is we kind of created this in in the United States with our direction towards medical school. It started in, in 1911 with something called the Flexner Report. That's what was the foundation for, for medical school. And it was a calling towards biosciences, medical studies, and doing hands-on practice in specialty. So we as a country spent our first 100 plus years doing really good specialty care, but we did not focus on social determinants. We didn't focus on family medicine. And, and consequently, we, we caused a lack of integration of, of care. And so the way we know this is that when we go see a doctor, and unfortunately this happens to some people, they, they come in and there's a knock on the door, a little rustling of some papers, and a doctor comes in and, and says to you, good morning, Greg, it's good, good, good to see you. What's bothering you today? The truth of the matter is they just read the information about you in the manila folder that was in the little holder before they knocked on the door. And, and so this idea of comprehensive care for an individual and also closing the gap between mental and behavioral health and physical health to try and bring parity had been lost for, for an extended period of time. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Compensation, the electronic medical records weren't connected. Insurance wasn't compensating you for, for having that level of parity. And this has been changed. And this is the exciting news that's the new news here. And that is if you go look for one of these medical homes, you can search on patient-centered medical home, you can search on patient-centered medical home near me. You can ask questions that we have in the book of your practice to determine if they're a medical home. And once you're in a medical home, your care is significantly better. And the data shows that you'll live longer, you'll have a higher quality of life, and you'll pay less for your care. Well, this is certainly needed. And I think Dr. Paul Grundy, and you, you and he both worked at uh, IBM, and you speak a little about Grundy's life journey and the connection. I love this about the praying mantis in Africa. Can you yeah. talk to our listeners a little bit about it? Because there is significance in them nicknaming him the praying mantis. Um, and I just wanted to get that in because I thought it was so good. Well, there's a couple of things about Grundy that I think people will find interesting. Uh, First of all, uh, he, he's dyslectic, and 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 Paul struggled uh, as a child in, in in school, and they noticed that he just could not comprehend certain things. Well, some people took him under their wing, and and it turned out that, that Paul has a very high IQ, and he's got kind of an 
almost like an Einstein kind of mentality of how he would approach things. And when he went to Africa and he worked with Nelson Mandela, he was able to see some of the challenges that were facing that country. And so he, he talked to them in, in a way to give them advice of what they should do and how they should listen to the people and spend more time with the people. And so Paul received nicknames such as the, the, the praying mantis and being able to what he could see and how he would move forward and how important that was to the communities that he served. Well, it was certainly uh, a great story in the book, and you have lots of great stories. And, and Dan, it's no surprise that the healthcare delivery system is broken. Um, you know, we've been talking about as we're going through it, and in a tremendous need of transformation. And in your chapter on at Crusade, uh, you discuss the problem. What do you believe should be done to repair and fix this massively broken system? Well, there's a couple of things. One, uh, if we can have people enter into a dialogue, uh, first with themselves about healthy living and what they should do, and then moving forward, that would be tremendous. If we can close the gap between mental and behavioral health and these opioid challenges, along with physical care, we can make a difference. Greg, do you know in, in 2017, there were 70,000 opioid deaths. 90% of those people that died were not under the care of a physician. We have a crisis on our hands because we haven't been able to close that gap and because of the stigma, and we haven't been able to put people into the right kind of system. Uh, my friend Patrick Kennedy writes a spectacular forward to the book talking about some, some of these challenges. So as, as we look forward, if I can help people with the dialogue, if we can create access for all, if we can focus on wellness, I think we can empower people to have greater self-esteem, more productivity, and to contribute in society in the way that they'd like to. Yeah, and it is a discussion and a dialogue that needs to occur, and that's what you basically said is let's get in dialogue um, and I think organized dialogue, right? Because there's a lot of dialogues occurring. The question is, is there a champion out there? And I know Dr. Grundy is one that you say he is often called the godfather of the medical home, not because he's the brainchild of it or the brainchild of it, but because he was a provocateur who articulated both the clinical and business cases for organizing medical care in a new way. How are physicians, in your estimation, now embracing this concept, and how do we start to have this all-important discussion about the medical home? Um, because you know there's resistance. If you look at the carriers and the hospitals and the insurance companies and all the people involved in the delivery of medicine, again, I hate to say this, but it seems like it. What's in it for me? You're asking a very good question, and uh, having read the book, you know it's an aspirational book uh, about where where we we can go. So let me give you some of the reasons why I believe that we're going forward. First of all, modern health uh, just last week cited that 70% of CEOs are focused in, in healthcare are focused in a patient-centered medical home a patient-centered hospital home, 
Some of them are calling it a personal medical home. The concept of comprehensive care is on everyone's, everyone's mind. If you look at the commercials that are running today from the insurance carriers, you'll see that they're encouraging us to have that mental health conversation with our physicians. They're also now sending out information about flu shots, and many of them want to be very involved in the first 25% of delivering care. So we do actually see the insurance carriers starting to move forward. Additionally, earlier in the year, there were some very significant settlements. The one that comes to mind is WIT versus United, where people challenged the insurance carriers as to whether or not they were doing enough on reimbursement for mental and behavioral health like they were for physical health. And, and those cases have become visible, and we're now starting to see the insurance carriers recognize that they have an important role in closing that parity towards wellness, sickness, and mental and behavioral health. If you look at the compensation system, we worked hard with CMS. There's now diagnostic card charges that can flow between psychiatrists and, and primary care. The electronic medical records now have structured data that's around mental and behavioral health where you can capture this information in a holistic way. And last but not least, I mentioned to you the insurance companies are starting to pay much closer attention to creating this in the medical home, whether they, they try and encourage it within practices, as we know many of them are starting to move into care, or in just the reimbursement side. So I'm optimistic that we can continue this journey to, to go forward. And what I want is the listeners to not only enter in the dialogue, but to look for a patient-centered medical home, to get the book, read the book, and look at the back where I offer 10 questions they can ask to see if they're going to be taken care of in the way of a medical home. Because I know if they are, if they are, Greg, they're going to be happier with their care, they're going to have a better quality of life, and they'll pay less money for it. Yeah, it is. Uh, there are some great questions in the back of this book, and we'll get to that in a minute because I've got you. You talk about six promises, and we'll talk about those in a second. Now, you state that innovation is the most important ingredient in social change, and I couldn't agree more. And transformation. What type of innovation is needed, and what is happening to change the healthcare and embrace the care of the patients? In other words. What kind of innovation? You've talked a little bit about some of the things that have happened with the pay system and the progress we're making, but what do you see in the next 10-year horizon, Dan, that needs to happen to really innovate this and make massive change to our healthcare delivery system? Well, let's just start with ourselves, and, and let's start with the innovation of ourselves, better understanding ourselves. And let us agree, all of us agree, that we will no longer carry a stigma around with mental and behavioral health and, and be able to close the gap so that we can start to address some of these challenges that are affecting our communities. M many of the people that end up in situations with firearms or creating different situations that our societies aren't comfortable with have these issues and they haven't been addressed. So if, if we can get past this stigma and if we can have the dialogue and then enter into these systems where care is better, 
then I think that is actually a level of innovation around behavior. Oftentimes people think innovation is all about technology, and, and, and it's not. It's not. It's around ourselves, and it gets into this little self-discovery of who we are and what we should try and do in order to do things differently. Now, I, uh, having worked with IBM, saw spectacular uh, advances in technology and levels of transformation and had the good, good fortune to launch our initial efforts around artificial intelligence with uh, Watson in, in, in healthcare. And I believe we're going to continue to see more innovation where we can look at vast amounts of data and come back with best protocols and treatment regimens based on how they present across large masses of people. And we will shorten the time between diagnosis and effective treatment and save lives. So there is that innovation that will come from technology as well. And I think the third area of innovation is this engagement, this ability to create access for all, a focus on wellness, and then this level of empowerment. And when you start talking about that from an engagement standpoint into the healthcare system, where we're honest with what we need and we present ourselves and someone receives us that way and gets us onto the right path, I think that level of innovation in our systems uh, will, will help us. So it's really the three things. It's the innovation within ourselves, it's the technology that will be there, and then it will be how we engage with the healthcare system. I think well said, Dan. And you know, you leave the readers at the end of the book with six promises, six ways to leave a lex- legacy, six ways to make a difference, promises we should make to ourselves um, um, no matter what. What are those promises that you have articulated at the end of the book that you think are so important? Well, first of all, I'm, I'm thrilled that you, uh, you looked at those. Um, those promises are have been built over over time, and having a chance to work with great leaders and see what those leaders think about and how we should address those our, ourselves. Um, I, I am a behavioral science guy. I, I, I study uh, people and I study how you create value, and then how people can actually create a, a better life for themselves. So within those six promises that I bring forward, those are promises that if you yourself paid attention to those and if you read them with a level of sincerity, I think you'll change how you look at life. Uh, Every day I wake up and I think about making a difference in someone's life. And I think by bringing this forward, this book forward, we can engage in this dialogue. We can start to drive towards access for all. We can move from sick care into well care. And we can enhance life where people's self-esteem and their contribution and their productivity changes. And with that, I think we create a a better life. And if someone reads those six promises, I I am confident that it will change how they look at life. And I will articulate these for the listeners. Learn to look for and judge goodness and harmony in people, in society, and the events around you. Grasp the essence of every decision in your life or career. Create meaningful relationships, adding value and substance to your organization or to those around you. Your words matter. Wise leaders understand political power. Foster practical wisdom in others. Those are the six promises. 
Now, Dan, what do you want our listeners to leave this podcast knowing and what actions can they take and their voices be heard, not only to physicians, but to politicians, but to everybody around them when they need good health care? So first of all, I, I so appreciate you having me on, and I hope they'll read the book because uh, people that have read the book actually tear out some of the pages, including the six promises, and they also tear out the 10 questions you should ask your doctor. They take them with them to their doctor, which I'm, I'm thrilled about. So, so there's a level of practicality to these stories that uh, people have found interesting. So I so appreciate being with you today, and, and I hope people will read the book and and, and see it as, as practical as it was written to be. Um, second, I want people to think about access for all. This doesn't change until we close the gap on parity between mental and behavioral health. This doesn't change until we get people to go see doctors and nurses and caregivers. This doesn't change until we continue to extend that right hand of fellowship that everyone deserves comprehensive care. So that's, that's the first tenet uh, of this. Second, in the book, as you know, I talk about societal change. This takes time. The first railroad that was created, the B&O Railroad, uh, was uh, 40 years before the Golden Spike was placed in the ground in, in Utah that changed the United States with tra transcontinental rail. The, the first air movie, air flight was wings in, in, in 1928. 40 years later, we put a man on the moon. Uh, 1968, unfortunately, we lose Martin Luther King. And then 40 years later from there, we elect Barack Obama as, as president. Medicare and Medicaid came out in 1965. And, and here we are uh, 40 years later, 50 years later, continuing to build out our country. Every country has a rhythm to its culture. And, and, and so we can't be too far left. We can't be too far right. There's a way that we move forward. And families are that way, too. So if we can enter into this dialogue around wellness and care, look for the medical home and be able to put people in there, I, I, I think with an understanding of what is practical and, and how to go find that and, and some lessons to live by, well, uh, it, it might be a good day when someone reads the book, I hope. Well, people will read the book, and for my listeners, if you want to know more about the book, go to everyonemattersonline.com there and forward slash trusted healers. You'll find out about the book. Uh, Dan is the founder of a nonprofit called Everyone Matters. It's a social impact enterprise founded in 2017, uh, dedicating uh, dedicated to ensuring that everyone has equal access to citizen-based services, health care, and education. I'd recommend that you go there. He's also got a LinkedIn account for that as well, and we'll put links to that, Dan. Um, again, the Trusted Healers book about the book is there. Also on Amazon, we'll put links to that as well. Dan, it's been a pleasure having you on Inside Personal Growth, spending a few minutes of your time talking about your new book, called Trusted Healers. And for all my listeners, we'll put links to the book. Uh, we'll have links to this website as well. Um, Dan, thanks so much for being on and thanks for spending a few minutes with us talking about the importance of how we access healthcare and how we're going to change the healthcare system. 
Greg, th- thank you, and uh, good good health to you and all your business. Thank you.